Good morning. You may be seated. You can if you can. Uh, go ahead and put my slide up. And yeah, um, first of all, just a word about this jersey. Um, back in the uh, back back in the first few years that I was at the church here, we held a family retreat, and on one of the retreat we had we actually had had several. On one of the retreats. Uh, a man named Don Fento came and taught. He was at the time the pastor at Belmont Church, and and he had a uh, he had a jersey that said Isaiah fifty three on it, and I went, oh, I have to have that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, and I think hopefully most of you do, Isaiah is actually a book in the Bible. <laughs> Yes, and, and it does have actually 66 chapters, but Isaiah 53, uh, the 12 verses in Isaiah 53 tell us more about Jesus, the Messiah, than any other 12 verses in Scripture, Old or New Testament, period. Uh, the verse that you'd probably be most familiar with from it is, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. But there's a lot of stuff in those 12 verses. And so there were a, a group of people in the church who realized that their pastor was very, had, had definitely broken the 10th commandment and was very close to lusting uh, <laughs> about this Jersey thing. And so they got together, and they, uh, and they, and they bought me a Jersey that said Isaiah 53 on it. And Oh, and it just happened to be a San Francisco 49ers jersey as well. Whatever that has to do with anything, I do have gold laces on, uh, just in case there's any confusion today. So anyway, I, just, I just wanted to explain that. I thought this might be inappropriate. Yeah, it's just, it's hanging in my closet. I thought, yeah, put this on today. Uh, would you stand with me and let's read, let's read a couple of passages of Scripture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then one other verse here. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that is in your word, for the power that is in your word. I pray that you would speak to us today and that we would recognize your voice and that we would follow your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, over the next few months, we're going to be uh, taking uh, some topics from a Eugene Peterson book called Run with the Horses. And some of you may have read that book. If you haven't, you may want to read it. Uh, uh, my daughter says she's read it four times. So yeah, uh, if that t tells you something. And she has other books. But, uh, but, uh, but she's read that one uh, a number of times. 
And it's actually a, a study on the life of Jeremiah, which you might initially kind of think, a study on the life of Jeremiah? It's a study on the life of Jeremiah. And it's got some really good, really good stuff in it. I said last week that my vision for the church was also the same as my vision for my family, because I, I feel like church is a family. And uh, it was to see them be healthy and to grow in Christ and to grow in love, to grow in, in true love. And everyone would say yes to that. I mean, yes, we uh, to be healthy and grow in Christ and and grow in love. But those are only words that oftentimes get lost in an ocean of uh, good intentions that we have. Because it sounds good. But actually following through on that maybe maybe a different story sometimes. And, and when I say healthy, I mean bodily health, that's good. I mean, that's that's great. And I I uh this isn't exactly a six-pack, but it may be a 53-pack. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you got uh, your, 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 uh, your guns, your pistols, or whatever it is you got there. I don't know. Uh, pen knife, uh, something. But Paul says that bodily exercise profits little. He doesn't say it's not profitable. It is profitable. You know, uh, it is profitable, but only for a short time, very honestly. And, and we're very concerned about, uh, we tend to be very concerned about what we put in our bodies and what we eat. You know, we want to eat healthy and everything, and that's, that's good, but it's only profitable for a very short time. We are often not nearly as concerned about what we put into our, our spirits and into our minds and into our hearts, something that could be profitable for a very well, maybe eternity, even. And before we can really pursue the vision uh, of being healthy and growing in Christ and, and growing in love, we need to realize that uh, the fact that we very often do live badly. And we rarely stop to recognize it. We rarely stop to realize, oh, maybe this isn't, the way I should be doing this. P Peterson starts the book with, a, with an arresting paragraph, and it, it starts off this way. The puzzle is why so many people live so badly, not so wickedly, but so inanely, not so cruelly, but so stupidly. There's little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. We have celebrities, but not saints. Okay, and if that grabs you, there's more in there's more in in the rest of the book. But it goes on, in fact, that's not all of the paragraph, but he goes on to say that we have famous entertainers to amuse a nation of insomniacs. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad I heard a ooh or two on that one. Uh, now I, I wanna I do wanna make draw a distinction here. Because entertainment's not necessarily a bad thing, but I, but I, I want to draw the distinction between amuse and entertain, uh, because those are two different things. Um, uh, amuse, the base of that word is muse. And when that's used as a verb, that actually means to consider and to think deeply and to be inspired and, 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 and to be creative. And it can sometimes be used as a noun. Uh, uh, 
a muse is an inspiration that you receive. If you, if you fall in love, you may write poetry because your person that you fall in love with is your muse. It may be bad poetry, but, <laughs> but, but you write it because you're, you're, you're stirred, you're inspired. But when you take the, the word a and you attach it to it, it's a negation of that. And amuse means to not think, to not consider, to not be inspired. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying it's you know terrible to ever be amused. I've been amused a time or two. Some of you have amused me <laughs> at, at, at times. But uh, I, I've, I've been amused by things. But, that's, but, but you don't want to live there. You know, that's, that's not, that, that doesn't need to be a foundation stone of your life. To entertain, on the other hand, actually does mean to consider and to take into, to entertain an idea, to entertain a notion, to actually think about it. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why, why, we, why we do plays and why we do the plays that we do. Uh, I think probably for me, the best example of this uh, and one of the most wonderful things that I, that I ever heard coming out of our theater was a number of years ago, we did a play called Boys Next Door. And, it, and it's about um, a group of four guys who are adult special needs men who lived in a group home together. And it's a, it's a scream. It's absolutely hilarious. But it's also, I mean, it'll, just, it'll also grab you. Uh, and, and there was a, a young man in the church at the time who... Uh, who came to me afterwards and said, you know, I came to see that play, and there's this guy who walks by our house every day, and he's obviously different, and I have made a point of saying to it that I'm not in the front yard when he walks by the house, and if I am, I'm going to be doing something else. But after seeing this play, I went, I need to talk to that guy, and I did, and you know what? It was great. You know, I... I I made a friend, and I was able to really connect with him. Went, yes, that's entertainment. That's what an entertaining should do. Uh, and Peterson goes on to say that in our, in our culture, we have infamous, infamous criminals who, who act out the aggressiveness of bland conformists. Infamous criminals who act out the aggressiveness of bland conformists. And, uh, you know, we see it all the time. I mean, it's uh, uh, every week at least, sometimes several times a week. Somebody's shot up a bunch of people somewhere, killed a bunch of people somewhere. Something terrible's been done. And, you know, we, and we might tend to look at that and go, oh, I would never do anything like that. Uh, but I'd like to sometimes. And not only that, I might pour that poison into the culture sometimes. I might say something, I might have a tendency to say something encouraging to somebody about, boy, I wish somebody had, you know, somebody ought to, and you might be saying it to somebody who just needs a little encouragement. Now, the... There are a couple of other things he says. This third one I don't exactly agree with, so I'm just letting you know I don't agree with everything that Eugene Peterson says. I only agree with like 98% of it, but this is part of the 2% because he says that in our culture we also have petulant and spoiled athletes 
playing games vicariously for lazy, apathetic spectators. Do those people look apathetic? <laughs> you know, I kind of get the notion that Peterson might not have gone to a lot of sporting events. Okay. And uh, never, nevertheless, I mean, you know, they're, they're, I'm not saying that there's not anything wrong with some of this. <laughs> it just depends on what color they're wearing. Uh, but, but, uh, but, I'm, but I'm saying, and really, you know, I mean, yeah, you can get some petulant and spoiled athletes, I guess. But if you're going to, uh, if you're going to perform at that elite level, you, you're going to work. Right? I'll tell you that right now. You'll definitely work. Uh, so I, I don't fully agree with that assessment that he has. Even so, to add a little class, I mean, you know, that's, that's not a lot of class there. But, uh, you know, to add a little class to the moment, I, I just will say go Niners. Uh, <laughs> the man preaching in a football jersey is adding some class to, the, to, what's, uh, to what's going on here. People, aimless and bored, amuse themselves with trivia and trash. That's another thing that he says maybe happens in our culture. And I don't know if anybody recognizes that picture. It might be of you. It has been of me from time to time. I'll just have to say. And then he, and then he closes out the paragraph by saying this, neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets headlines. The adventure of goodness. What a phrase. There, there, is, a, there is an adventure in goodness. The, the pursuit of righteousness. Occasionally, I, I, don't, I, I don't actually watch the news anymore. I, I, I don't know that I have since the 70s. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I understand that occasionally there will be a good news break. You know, And those of you who watch the news, do they still do that? Oh, they just gave up? <laughs> well, there would be a good news break, and they'd talk about somebody rescuing a kitten or something like that, and then they'd get back to the real news, to the serious stuff that people were watching it for. And, and while you know, some of the, these things that I'm saying may be applied to any, uh, any number of cultures, it's, it's a particular description of ours. Uh, one of the other things that, that Peterson says is, no other culture has been as eager to reward nonsense and wickedness. And I say that not to go, oh, isn't our culture bad? But we're a part of it. And we get, we get consumed in it. Those who've been to other cultures, especially maybe if you've gone on a missions trip to a so-called third world a country or something like that, often discover that while they don't have the stuff that we have and they don't have access to the technology and they don't have this and they don't have that, they're often much happier than we are. Just look at the checkout line the next time that you're there. It's grim business going shopping in this culture. It really is. You don't see many, you don't see much joy. I knew y'all would like that. <laughs> you don't see much, but you could say amen. Uh, and so uh, Peterson uh, condenses into three words what 
my vision for the church is, uh, when I say healthy and grow in Jesus and grow in love, uh, and the three words he condenses it into is that they, uh, you don't see people who are mature and whole and blessed. They're not the people who are lifted up in our culture. They're not the ones that go, that's who you need to emulate. And if, if, you're, if you're the first two, you will be the third one. You know, we, we tend to pursue the third one, but you can't get there from here. You pursue the first two and the third one happens. So what does it mean to be mature and whole and blessed? Well, it doesn't mean that you don't mess up. Because you do. Mature people mess up. You remember when you were a teenager, mature people messed up all the time. <laughs> and sometimes they really did. You know? uh, people who are just coming into the Bible for the first time are often kind of amazed that Abraham, was a, Abraham lied and, and lied pretty big time about some pretty serious stuff. And then Isaac turned around and did the same thing. And Jacob was a, was a, was a liar and a cheat. Uh, he probably owned a business somewhere. Uh, David, well, well, no, Moses. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And I don't know if you'd say he was a murderer or not, but he, he put a hit out on a guy. Put, put a hit out on the, on the husband of the woman that he was an adulterer with. This is David we're talking about here. Jonah ran from his call. Uh, Peter blasphemed. Paul was a murderer. And let me just say, because, you know, some people go, oh, well, but that was when he was Saul. That was before he was Paul. I have, a, I have a problem with those who think that once you get saved, you don't mess up anymore. What? Really? Over in, over in 1 John 1, 8, he says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He was writing that to believers. I mean, he makes it very clear at the, at the top of the, of the book who he's writing to. He's writing to believers. And when he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who are, who are this is how you walk it out. This is how you work it out. And after he became a believer, Paul was, was still a pill. I mean, seriously. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't invite him to my party. You know, and I'm not, I don't know. Well, anyway. Uh, Peterson points out that the Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about people. Instead, it talks a lot about God. Which is pretty good. It, it really doesn't tell us a lot. You may think, oh, it tells us a lot about Moses. Moses lived to be 120 years old. We know about maybe three or four years of his life. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. Some events from here and there. I mean, we know about different parts of his life, but you've put it all together. It probably doesn't, it probably doesn't add up to a year that we know about. David, you know, lived to be 70. Young man. And we, we know about... <laughs> Some of you got that. Yeah. 
Uh, and we only know about it, this event and that event. and this. We don't know who we're acquainted with these people. We don't know them. The, the only person Scripture tells us a lot about that you really feel like you can get to know is Jesus, which is, which is how, it, how it should be. And this does two things. First of all, it keeps us uh, from joining a fan club. Um, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he, he was writing about the visions that they had and what a problem that was. And he says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Unfortunately, there are still a lot of Christian fan clubs. And it's, that's not biblical. That, that's, something to, that's something to avoid. Uh, one of, last week, it was really gratifying to me when I announced that Kevin would be the one who'd be taking my place. And, and everybody stood up and, and applauded until I told them to stop. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was really gratifying because I, from day one, it's been my goal to pastor a church and have a church that when the time comes, because ultimately it will, so should the time come that I'm not here, nothing changes. It just keeps going on because, because the Holy Spirit hasn't changed and Christ hasn't changed and the gospel hasn't changed. And so all of the other parts, all of the other pieces are interchangeable. All, all of the other parts can be exchanged. So it, it, uh, it keeps us from joining a fan club, and it, and it reminds us that these heroes were dust, just like us. Over in James uh, chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah, Elijah called fire down out of heaven, went to heaven in a chariot of fire on a whirlwind, didn't even die. I mean, what's up with this guy? He was just like us. When he got scared, he ran. And he really didn't complete necessarily what God had for him. I mean, I, I think God had other stuff for him, but Elijah goes, you know, I'm ready to give up. He says, oh, well, okay, go get this other guy, anoint him, he'll do it, and then you can get this guy to do that and this guy to do that, and then I'll send a chariot, you know. Uh, basically how it, how it went. Back in, the, back in the 70s, there was this book came out about this woman, um, named Catherine Kuhlman. And Catherine Kuhlman, is, some of you may know who she was. She, was, she would hold these big uh, crusades and people would be healed. There, was, there were healing crusades. And uh, there was also a lot of weirdness in her life. And when I, when I went to buy this book, I was at Cornelia Bookstore, and this, and this guy, speaking of weird, this guy named Bob Huey uh, came up to me and he said... <laughs> That was for Wayne's benefit, by the way. Uh, Huey comes up to me and says, oh, you're going to buy that book. You know what I learned in that book? And I said, what did you learn in this book, Bob? He said, I learned God uses cracked pots. And he does, because that's the only kind he's got. Well, how, how, do, we, how do we get to become mature, whole, and, and blessed and that, because that's clearly the object. Uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have 
mature, whole, blessed life. Have it to the full. Uh, the thief comes to offer celebrity instead of sainthood. The thief comes to, uh, to offer amusement instead of, I mean, instead of entertainment. The, the thief comes to, to offer virtual instead of real. It comes to offer titillation instead of intimacy. That's, that's what the thief comes to do. But where do we miss it? Where, where do we miss this blessed life that Jesus comes to give us? Well, I think the choice is hidden. I mean, the, 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 one of the clues is hidden in the other verse that we, that we read. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What does it mean to be lost? We are accustomed, especially in religious circles, connections, connotations. We are accustomed to attaching that word lost to a phrase such as lost and going to hell. Lost and dying. You know, it's lost and. Let me, con- let me submit an idea, a notion for you to entertain. I submit that there are those who are not going to hell, who are lost. There are those who uh, have been promised eternal life. And they're lost. See, we're, we're lost when we don't know who we are. You, you, you can be saved and still not know who you are. Because that's just the beginning of the process. And if we don't follow through on the process, we might still be lost. And there are many voices trying to tell you who they are. And oh, most of the voices are cultural voices. And we've already talked a little bit about the culture that we're in. And usually, usually when those voices are trying to tell you who they are, what they're really trying to tell you is what they would like for you to be because it benefits them. But there's only one true voice. Jesus goes on to say in this passage where he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd. The sheep listen to my voice. I call my own sheep by name and lead them out. I go ahead of them and they follow me because they know my voice. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. They know it's not their shepherd. They know it's not mine. So how important is it to know Jesus' voice? How important is it to know your call? Hadn't been that long since we were back there. It's like last week. Yeah. How important is it to know, to know your call? Barbie uh, shared two weeks ago about her mother asking her to be uh, to take the church that she had. And, uh, and, I, and I knew this story uh, already, but it's, it's a perfect example because everything, you know, her, her mom, uh, Barbara, man, I, I have such regard and respect for Barbara. She's, she went on to be with the Lord a number of years ago, but uh, for, for a few decades, she pastored a little bitty church in a, in a rural, very impoverished area 
of East Tennessee, and the only reason she's able to do it is because she had a job uh, as a nurse that she did full-time. And man, I mean, I, the respect and regard that I have for her is huge, just saying. But, and I can see Barbie sitting there with her mom and her mom going, are you sure you're not supposed to come take this church? Because I'd really want you to take. And Barbie was saying, everything inside of me wanted to say yes to my mom. Every, everything. Uh, And I I know Barbie, I know how hard that would be to not say yes to her. But but some people, you know, people can love you and people can actually be uh, godly people. And when they speak to you, it's not the shepherd's voice. And Barbie knew what the shepherd's voice sounded like. That's not my call. That's not what I'm supposed to do. Uh, Last week when I announced Kevin, there may have been some who weren't here the week before or who slept in between who uh, went, well, why not Barbie? Did you think about Barbie? Well, uh, that's not who Barbie is. You know, Barbie, uh, uh, and let let me just put it this way. I mean, you know, we think number one, that's great. It's not always great. Uh, and sitting in the number one seat, the issue is you sometimes have to make decisions that people ain't going to like. And Barbie's just not wired that for that. You know, I mean, she, she does a fabulous job, and she would be a great senior pastor for three months before she had her breakdown. <laughs> and she knows that, Yeah. Uh, because she's heard the shepherd's voice. She knows what her calling is. I had a similar experience with my, with my dad about coming here, only it was totally flipped. Everything inside of me wanted to say, no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> but I heard the shepherd's voice. I said, that's where he's supposed to go. Yeah. And he was right. He's always right. When you follow him, when you hear him. Many people live so badly because they don't know who they are. And some, some think they know, but they've gotten their information from an unreliable source. And often it's in the culture, but sometimes it's in the church where they, where they get that. Even in the church, it's become such a source. I mean, people will kind of go, who am I in Christ? And what they'll be told is what they can do in Christ, but that's not who you are. It's not, that's not the same thing. Okay, yeah, you may have authority. You may be able to be blessed. You may be able to do that. That's not who you are. That's what you can do. Those are two different things. And, and there's no one size fits all. You can't go to a, a conference and learn who you are at the conference unless you hear the shepherd's voice speaking to you at the conference or wherever you may be because he's got a calling for you. That's what he's got. <laughs> yeah, well, I gotta, I gotta get him a horse and ride here. But uh, oh, that's the Chiefs, isn't it? I know. Uh, <laughs> gotta get my car and drive here. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the the phrase "king's kid" is all used to be bantered around a lot. You know, you're a king's kid. Are there any more spoiled brats in the world than king's kids? And God's kids aren't spoiled brats. They're mature, 
whole, blessed. That's what they are. Some have just not bothered to find out. It's not bothered to, uh, who, who they are. I, I didn't know that was important. Yeah, it's kind of important to know who you are. There's only one place to find yourself, your true self. Colossians is one of my, my favorite books, and I just want to run some verses by you here pretty quickly. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All knowledge that is worth knowing is in Christ. That's what that says. All the treasures. Everything that's of value is in Him, and that includes who you are. And he goes on to say later in that chapter, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. That's where your fullness is. That's where your completeness is. That's where maturity and wholeness and blessing is. It's in him. And then later in, in, in the next chapter he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If that's where it is, what you doing looking for it in all the wrong places? Because that's where it is. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, this is the kickoff to this series. Yes. No pun intended. <laughs> but hopefully, if you're not already there, it, it's more importantly the the start of a of an adventure in goodness. The pursuit of righteousness, which begins finding myself in him.